Welcome to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. Remember, as always, to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at SEN Top End. We have all hands on deck this morning with Robbie Hale and Raf Clark, both in the Rain and Horn studio with us. Raf, welcome back, mate. We missed you here. Uh, yeah. Congratulations on becoming a premiership coach with the St Mary's Division 2 team. I know it was a fortnight ago now. Uh, where have you been, mate? Yeah, mate, uh, it's starting to dry up around the place, so yeah, a bit of work here and there and all over the territory, which is, um, you know, one of the things I love about my job. Um, but yeah, uh, sorry, boys, I've left you hanging. <laughs> no, <laughs> all good. Hey, Rob, uh, what was on during the week and is, how's the fitness kit going and any plans for this Easter long weekend? Yeah, no, everything's going well on the fitness front, just trying to, you know, get through it to get the work in. Um, no, not, we're just going to go out to Dundee, Clarky. Um, enjoy a bit of a break and just get away from the big city life for a bit. How about yourself, mate? What are you doing for Easter? No, I'll keep things pretty low-key, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, put my heart and soul into the SEN Fridays and the Top End show and recharge the batteries from a long school term. Yep. What kind of activities do you do out at Dundee, mate? I'm Like, for a Territorian, I'm, I'm pretty slack in that department. Yeah, I'm going fishing gonna, in my life. Yeah, we're going to go do a bit of fishing. Might go down to the beach. Um... I think there's a few swimming spots that we're going to go to. Um, and I'll just take out the golf clubs and have a hit of the golf balls out in the big property there. And that'll be about it, Clarky. We have Malcolm Crawford, who is a commentator for the Brisbane Capitals NBL1 Northside team, which is the same competition that the Darwin Salties play in. So yep. we'll talk to him about the NBL1. I've had a conversation over the last couple of weeks, uh, especially with Jacob Andre when he came in. Do you think that the Salties are the biggest, most established territory club and the club that's closest to getting a team at the elite level in a competition? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think they're starting to get some sort of uh, atmosphere happening um, at the games as well. Um, I'd, I'd like to see a bit more local talent come through the teams, mm. though, and I don't know if the yeah, the talent's there, but I'd like to see a bit more local talent definitely playing. Yep. Do you think that, uh, like, do you like the branding of it all? So that was a conversation that I had with Jacob Andre because they've sort of taken a bit of a risk by not going the traditional uh, ochre black and white colours of the territory. Um, and they're the salties, you know, they're not they're not the crocs there, which obviously we know what salty is, but they've gone with mm -hmm. the slang sort of nickname and that. Um, if an AFL team were to come in, you would think that they'd be called the Thunder. I said there's probably about a 5% chance that they're called the NT Buffaloes or something just because of the mm -hmm. throwback to the rep team. But most likely you'd think of an AFL team coming into the territory they'd be they'd go with the Thunder wouldn't they yeah I, I'd probably I'd probably think so as well but I haven't yeah I, I haven't been down at the Salties enough to see how you know viable it is mm. um as a territory rep sort of thing as either but yeah it sort of does feel a bit for me it does feel a bit distant um, with you know they do have a lot of recruits and a, local people don't get a whole lot it's of It's a little bit like Thunder back in the day where not sort of criticising Thunder too much because they, they did a lot of work in this area to change it but I know at first they had a lot of interstate players certainly mm. not to the extent that the Salties do but it was really popular among the kids and the families because it's promoted really good through the schools and stuff like that but the genuine say local basketball fans or the local mm. football fans as it was at Thunder aren't fully behind it so you're right I do think they need to involve uh, some of these local families and, and mm. local sort of identities up in the territory but one step in front of another raft yeah that's it mate um, you know for their second season uh, I still think they're getting good crowd numbers like mm. I unfortunately like I said with my work come the dry season I'm away a lot more than I'm in Darwin and um, I'm still hanging out to get down to a Salty's game so hopefully I can get down to the next one and you know, and get get amongst it. So, but yeah, um, like you said, it's it's hard to say. Like, 
you know, with the name and the colours they've gone with. But, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's good for the basketball in itself because the basketball up here has been such a strong sport. Um, I'm, mm. a, You know, my background's basketball as well. And, you know, to have this growing up would have probably kept a lot of kids involved in basketball. Um, so it's getting stronger. Like, obviously, Robbie, you have young kids. I reckon mm. from my experience working in primary schools, the basketball has just about taken over as, like, the most popular sport. It's got that coolness element where people, like, you know, repping NBA jerseys and all that sort of stuff, speaking in the basketball slang and, and watching it and keep up, keeping up to date with it. Whereas footy's, I'm not going to say it's a bit lame or boring or anything, but it doesn't sort of have that vibe as what some of the star power that the NBA has. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing too. It gives kids a, a goal that's a bit closer to home as well. Like, mm. you know, if you're playing local footy and local basketball, you you can sort of make it to your top um, grade in that division, especially basketball a lot quicker, I think, than and, and footy. But, you know, to have that extra step and a, a recognise it like a national level, yeah. um, that's what football doesn't have up here anymore. So, mm. you know, for kids now, they're all like, get to that 17, 18, it's like, where do I go next? Um, there's, the next goal is either AFL or VFL. Or, so mm. without having the thunder, they <laughs> that's what I don't like about it. Um, mm. So the basketball kids now do have that next step before they try and push further, I believe. And, you know, if they get themselves in the salties, they know they're going to get recognised nationally um, a bit more often than they would just playing around in Darwin. Yeah. Were you sad when the thunder went away? Yes, I was. Um, definitely. Because, it, you know, it actually... And it got to that stage where, you know, they were looking more just to win games instead yeah. of um, promoting our talent and giving our kids a chance. Um, so that's where it got mixed up. And I think we spoke about a few shows back where, you know, like is it set up for developing your kids to get them ready for the next big steps, mm. that the ones that don't want to go away and leave Darwin. Um, and, you know, you had like Ben and Chan and Rioli. They, they loved playing for the Thunder and they could have went away a long time ago and played VFL, but it gave them that you know, national competing level, I believe. But, yeah, I'm still sad that the Thunder doesn't exist. Yeah, I was definitely sad Thunder seized, but I think it needed a new direction as well. And I think at that last season, they are pretty poor. And I think the locals Local bought town. out yeah. as well. Like, yeah. the locals weren't working hard to stay in. And it was pretty much any country league footballer that couldn't get a game at VFL level would come up here and play. Yeah. And then and you get had that recognized. divide amongst the community a little bit where yeah. people were saying, oh, how come this guy's in there? Like, I get it, it's an absolute superstar. But then you get blokes who are probably in that sort of 15 to 25 mm. position they go to training and they give 100% and they're just about the best they trainers on the track yeah. and they're from Bendigo or something yeah. and then you have locals you know getting annoyed when, when they're losing their spot to players like that and mm. sort of from the outside looking in you, you can understand why they might give a give a spot to someone who commits on the track yeah. as well as they do so do get a bit complicated. Yeah, that's the hard one, eh? Because then all of a sudden you get the locals thinking they just get a game because they're the the local players and we want to play more local players. But if you don't put the same buy-in, then, you know, that's... You don't don't deserve a game, I don't don't believe. And and that's in any competition, any any sport. And you used uh, the Rioli brothers as an example before. I think it was hard for players like that who were split between... I think at one time there, Shannon might have been coaching Thunder... Sorry captaining Thunder and St Mary's at the same time and it was really tricky for him to sort of um, you know commit to both yep. with 100% I think um, just because it takes so much out of you not just the Shannon Rioli thing but anyone if you were to be a captain of both the NT Thunder and St Mary's at the same time given the high expectations that St Mary's place on you and then obviously Thunder are you know a state league team it was just very very tricky for players like that. Yeah, definitely. And, and the biggest thing with that is, you yeah, know, your, your best players don't get a rest then. Mm. And you talk about burning out and, and getting tired, and um, but you still love to play your NTFL games. And, mm. <laughs> you know, you try to limit yourself to five or six games, but, you know, because you start missing footy, um, especially, you know, anyone. I, I believe, like, the more footy you can play, 
everyone says yes. So yeah, um, that that became the hard thing as well. So yeah, it's definitely a, a really hard one because not a lot of players down south are playing 12 months of footy. No, exactly right. Pretty good memories though. The Thunder. I remember Buff trying to chase down the hundred goals. That grand final against Aspley was an amazing game of football. Um, and obviously the early dominance when when they were an absolute fortress at TIO Stadium. It was always a good watch on a on a Saturday night. But it'd be interesting to see where we're at in ten yeah. years' time. Whether we, like they talk about that AFL dream coming back for a territory team. Whether they try and go back into the the Sandfall or the Waffle or the VFL or something like that. If they had that mm. stepping stone progression before they make an AFL launch again, or whether their plan is just to to hold fire until I think the best thing about it not just being a step for the players too like you look at my brother Xavier as for an example as a coach mm. you know oh he's yeah, gone on sure. and played uh, gone on and coached at Richmond for the last four or five years yeah. now so it was a step stone for coaches well. yeah Murray Davis yeah. they all got their opportunities around to Thunder coaching yep oh, mm. exactly right plenty more to come here on SCN Fridays in the top end we'll talk about all the AFL games from last weekend the ones coming up this weekend we're chatting with Malcolm Crawford we have to speak about Mattia Breed who's now an AFL W yes. player with Hawthorne and much more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. Lads, we were just talking off air about the Salties, but about mm. Matteo Breed, who was drafted by Hawthorne with selection four in Tuesday night's AFLW Season 8 supplementary draft. So my memories of Matteo Breed was as a dominant junior player for the Buffett. She is 21 years old now, but she claimed back-to-back best and fairest honours in the under-18s girls competition, and she was a powerhouse. She was the closest thing to Dusty Martin playing back there. Um, so really good to see Matteo get her opportunity at the elite level. Did you see much of her as a either a junior footballer coming through or when she progressed into the seniors with the Crocs and Buffetts? Yeah, I've seen her play a fair bit. Um, she was definitely very dominant at the 18s level and very similar to like Danielle Ponner in the way that she dominated um, junior levels. And perhaps, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise that she hadn't been drafted earlier. Um, she was pretty much head and shoulders above at junior level. Yeah, I think I think she probably should have pushed up to senior footy a bit quicker. I, mm. I think she was held back and I think that might have cost her a tad if I'm being slightly negative. But um, she's definitely got the opportunity now. She looks like judging from Facebook that she does a lot of work outside of football to get her body right. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty good... Um, I think she'll go well at AFLW level. Yeah, like I said, I'm the same as Robert. I'm surprised it wasn't earlier. Mm. Um, seeing her a couple of times and, and her highlights as a, as a junior, she definitely was um, ready to play AFLW um, probably a year or two ago. And, mm. and the strength and size you talk about she's got um, from that breed... Um, name is is you know the dad of if, if everyone knows the dad Daniel yep. Breed he's a he looked like bodybuilder back in his day. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Finding a place to write your next chapter. Boys, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the NBL 1 competition and the Darwin Salties, but let's face it, we're still beginners. We're still getting our head around it, and here to talk about everything happening in the NBL 1 competition is Malcolm Crawford. Do we have you, mate? Yeah, mate, you do. Hey, Malcolm. Thanks very much for joining us. Firstly, uh, what is the NBL 1 competition? How would you explain it to someone who sort of doesn't have a full grasp of the basketball landscape here in Australia? No way. So the NBL one basically <clears throat> is uh, a nationwide level just under the NBL and WNBL um, levels of sport. So NBL and WNBL, they're the pinnacle. That's where the you know the big contracts and things like that are. That's where most of our Australian teams, players are drawn from, things like that. 
just under that, then you've got the MBL one. So the MBL one um, is um, a little bit more semi-professional. A lot of the players are being, you know, do have contracts and different things. And MBL players and WMBL players will often play down, if you will, at that MBL one level to get extra extra reps, extra exposure, extra <clears throat> extra buckets, things like that. Um, but it allows. Because it's now being done at a standardised level, it allows people to actually come and watch these games. Every excuse me, every game is televised, <clears throat> and um, you still like you, you've got access for kids and everyone of everyone else to go and watch this high level of uh, Australian sport at your almost at your local uh, at your local stadium, which is really awesome. Yeah, is um is the NBL one a consistent stepping stone now to getting into the NBL? Have you found that? Uh, it is a lot more consistent. Obviously, the NBL one is still fairly new. It started in 2019 down down south. Um, then, unfortunately, COVID basically just put a little bit of a you know spanner in the works, if you will, of rolling it out nationally. But we do now have the uh, the five conferences. Um, last year, last season alone, just from the NBL one North, uh, we had uh, Luol Deng, Cody Statman, Rasmus Bark, and of course uh, Malawatch from from the Salties, Ben Air, Camsu, just to name a few from the North, who were able to then step up into that NBL space. And uh, on top of that as well, we also had um, Tiana Mungakahia, India Bauer, and Lily Ricano. Yep. Step in, step up into that WNBL space as well. So it is definitely where teams are looking, and often at um, Brisbane Capitals home games where I commentate, we'll often have um, you know the uh, the local NBL head coaches and assistant coaches in watching games, especially when different teams roll through town. Yeah, so there is, has been a bit of um, progression, hasn't there? Is the, um, the introduction of the Soldi's been a real positive sign um, of growth as well for the competition? Oh, definitely. Uh, it, it's been absolutely fantastic. And it goes to show um, what kind of following the, the Salties have because I know uh, last season when the Salties came to town, it actually, even though we're in, um, I was commentating the Brisbane Capitals home game, it felt like a Darwin home game because of the crowds that were able to come out and support their local teams. Um, it, it, it's been fantastic. Um, we've also had the uh, Media 8 uh, North Gold Coast Seahawks join and it's they've been able to join um, add talent and uh, with the Salties as well like they were able to make the, uh, the the men's team were able to make the quarterfinals uh, in their first year out which is, is genuinely huge considering the high level of the NBL 1 North um, sort of plays at Yeah definitely um, what, what does the North side um, have over the other divisions uh, well, <clears throat> it, it's ours, so we you know, de definitely feel proud of it. But uh, one of the yeah. big things that I've sort of found is, um, so up here we're very aggressive on the defensive end um, and we play our basketball at junior levels a, a really certain way, a, a gritty and grindy sort of thing. And because of the community-based um, nature of these, uh, of these associations, that really comes through. Um, from from that ground ground grassroots level, uh, we've also been able to get on. At one point last year, we had um, so 
for the national teams um, of all the NBL one players that were uh, signed, uh, brought up into the national squad. At that particular time, we had 80% of them playing for us up here in the NBL One North. So a lot of these players either want to come home and play for their um, junior clubs and different things, uh, or because we're able to get um, really solid, we've already got these really solid fan bases to draw upon. Uh, It's allowed uh, bigger crowds and different things and and communities to really get behind. And, uh, yeah, it's... It's really solid for us. Unfortunately, at the Nationals, we weren't able to uh, take down, to take out the National uh, crown. Both of them went out uh, went out west, but uh, a lot of that also had to do with the uh, just the sheer timing of um, uh, a lot of our major players had to return to their uh, higher-level teams, and uh, a lot of our major players also had to... Um, uh, what was it, the uh, Women's World Cup duties that they had to go and play for. But the fact that we're able to get these high-level players playing in our NBL 1 competition is really huge. Yeah, Malcolm Raff Clark here, mate. Uh, my, my question is, um, have you seen the growth in the in the junior ranks now or more, more juniors signing up and, and wanting to be a part of basketball than you would, especially at that level where... You know, they can sort of start seeing themselves or setting a goal to try and make the Salties or any of these NBL1 teams? Yeah, definitely have. Um, so over the last two years, obviously, it, it is still growing, but um, there's more and more juniors getting out to all the games um, and things and things like that. We're also um, seeing a lot, of the, a lot of the junior players coming out to... So each team will play a... Like we'll have open tryouts at the start of the se- uh, start of each season. Uh, I know I went to uh, a couple of our Capitals ones, and the sheer number of you know kids who were you know at that age they weren't necessarily at that skill level. Um, all of them, obviously, because it is such a high clip. But they were there. They were keen. They were, you know they wanted to be a part of um, this amazing thing. And the great thing about the NBL one is it. It allows access. I know I took um, I took my daughter to an away game uh, recently. I was able to get out to it, and her favourite player from the Brisbane Capitals actually um, saw us in the crowd. We were there really early. She came up and you know introduced herself and uh, and shook my daughter's hand, and she was just blown away. Like you know, it, it allows that access that you don't necessarily get at that NBL and WNBL level. And that's the stuff the juniors really froth and love. So I definitely say yes. Uh, and obviously, uh, as we as we get deeper into this NBL one um, uh, almost experiment that we're we're doing here, it's it's definitely going to be more and more of a thing as these junior players come uh, come up through the systems. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I I refer to someone like who's a really good junior. Oh, he's playing senior footy now, and he's one of the long boys. And he actually almost put his preseason aside to try and try out for the uh, the NBL one for the Salties up here in Darwin and a lot of people were a bit shocked that he was thinking that that way because he could have went down and played mm-hmm. VFL or almost you know set him set his goals on the AFL but you know to have that opportunity to try and push himself in basketball was was awesome to see so yeah I definitely see what you're talking about there mate 
Hey, Malcolm, uh, do you think that... So we've been talking a little bit uh, on and off air about the makeup of the Darwin Salties team and the general criticism for territory teams that have played at the semi-elite level is, oh, there's not enough locals. But realistically, with your knowledge of the NBL 1 competition, a territory team couldn't really compete without that uh, interstate sort of imports and players like that, could they? Uh, well... Basically, it's at the level now where effectively no team can. So yeah. it's it's not just localised to the territory situation. Yeah. It, it's across the board. Um, I mean, this year we've got the uh, we've got teams like Ipswich. You've got they got they got Nathan Sobey. They've got Harry Froling, and they've got the Galloway brothers on top of their. Um, they've got some juniors and some other situations. Last year, our champions were the Gold Coast Rollers, um, who had they brought in uh, Kadee. I think that by the end they had uh, four or maybe five either NBL players or on the cusp of the NBL um, that they that they brought in. Um, and basically, yeah. You, You've got to have these high-level signings to to compete at this level, um, and then you focus on your, your your grassroots. And there will always be a place in those teams um, for your juniors, uh, which you know every association has. Sometimes they, you know, sometimes the junior kids just don't get the burn um, as much as we want, and that's the problem with you know community-based basketball. We we sort of we, you, you come along and you you watch these junior kids and you get invested in them and you want them to have more time and more exposure and more 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 more, but unfortunately, you know the NBL one is it, it flies at a really high clip and you need these high level imports. Um, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, we do need to wrap up pretty soon. But a Northern Territory team in the NBL, what do you think would need to happen uh, for that to become a reality? And is it any chance, say, within the next decade or so? Uh, I think it definitely is. From what I'm hearing, there's two uh, two sort of major hotspots um, uh, across the NBL North situation. Uh, Darwin and uh, looking at another shot with the, the Gold Coast Tropics, I, I think both of them have a shot. One of the great things that the... Um, uh, the Darwin situation has uh, it's it's getting good crowds and different things like that which is super important there's also less competition in town in that sense of there's no NRL there's no AFL you know so you don't have those you know while the grassroots and you know semi-professional stuff is definitely there and it's really solid and it's got a great groundswell of support um you know you don't have those higher level uh high level things that, that take a lot of that money and focus from uh, all the other cities so uh basically just you know if locals want that sort of thing they've got to get down to their local uh get down and watch the salties you know it's, it's that simple buy the jerseys buy the shirts yeah support your team as much as you can um they're doing really good things on the court they're you know they've got a really solid team at the moment i'd say at the moment they're kind of sitting in that um tier two uh in tier two sort of level in the men's and the women are right up there at the moment still early in the season but uh yeah they're they're in that uh tier, tier one cusp uh at the moment the the salties of the men and the women 
Yeah, I think it's definitely growing the game of basketball in the Northern Territory. As a school teacher, you hear a lot of young kids talking about the Salties and getting along to a Salties game. So hopefully that'll grow from there once that next generation sort of grows up. Malcolm, thanks very much for joining us. Before we let you go, uh, in 30 seconds or less, can you tell us about where you think the NBA is going? Who's your tip for the MVP? It's got to be Embiid now probably with his uh, run of form and who you have got for the championship. Uh, look, for the NBA, give me... Uh, I'm a huge Celtic supporter, but give me the Bucks. I think they're just a bit deeper. Uh, Embiid, yes, he's very good, but at the same time, it, I, I do enjoy sort of, you know, I do enjoy the banter and different things and how he keeps fighting. It's a shame he gets so injured. But, uh, yeah, I, I would take him for MVP with his recent run of form and the story, and it's so difficult to win three in a row if you're the Joker. It's practically impossible. Very good, Malcolm. Hey, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, what's on for the rest of the afternoon, and how do we tune into your podcast? Uh, this afternoon, I've got a family barbecue, uh, and the podcast is Bald Out Lie Australia, um, and we cover everything from NBL One North all the way up to the NBA, and it's on uh, Spotify, iTunes, and we're over on Instagram at um, uh, Bald Out Lie Australia. Uh, and yeah, that's that's where all our stuff is. And uh, yeah, very good, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. Thursday night footy, the Lions and the Magpies on AFL Nation. And you're with Matt Hill. Waiting oh. at the back, Rainer fell to hit, but Rainer's going to get it anyway, and goes bang. Maynard handball, oh. Mitchell, and then it was cut off. It was cut off by McKenna. They play on, and then Cameron puts it through. Collingwood clean out of the middle, down to Pendlebury. Off to Nick Dacos, kick up to full forward. Andrew's got a hand to it, but couldn't stop it. Majic got the kick away as he was being tackled. He's kicked his third for the quarter. You like Hipwood here, couldn't mark. Charlie Cameron underneath. Oh, oh devastating turn of foot. Evasiveness at its absolute best. Opened up the goal front and kicked his fourth. Charlie Cameron opens up the angle, squeezes it in at the near posts. He's got a handful and he's been every bit of that. Jordan Degoe from long range. He hit it pretty well. It's at the left-hand post. It works back and it's through for his first. Charlie Cameron from the pockets, half a dozen of the best. And it spills the way of Quaymore. He'll go backwards. Last kick from Chris, lands harmlessly. The Lions are a force to be reckoned with at the Gabba. They have the two big scalps, Melbourne and now Collingwood's. And they dominated the Magpies. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter. Of course, the Brisbane Lions, 18-8-116, defeated Collingwood, 11-17-83, last night at the Gabba. Interesting game. Uh, there were times there where Collingwood looked like their threatening best, but the Lions were able to hold off. I think it's crazy. The Lions, and we will talk about this further as we digest this game, but the Lions seem like a 10-goal better team, which is a big exaggeration, but a 10-goal better team at the Gabba. They just look like mm. chalk and cheese compared to when they play in Melbourne. Did you watch the game last night? Yeah, I watched it with um, great interest. Um, I definitely, th I tipped Collingwood. I thought Collingwood was just going to get it done because I'm probably on the Collingwood bandwagon. But I do think there's a significant home ground advantage now in the uh, competition. Um, 
So it was no surprise to see that it was a pretty even market going into the game. And it was a great win for the Lions. They needed that win to get their season back on track. Raph, did you... Yeah, mate, I had, had a watch, um, had a couple of multis on, so that's why I tuned in really well to, to, yeah. to specifically a few players. Um, but, yeah, no, nah, definitely a great night uh, footy, um, especially that first quarter when I thought Brisbane were going to keep going and then Collingwood mm. let you knew that they were going to be there for for the whole game. And, yeah, yeah it looked like Collingwood were going to get control and, you know, run it out there in that first couple of quarters. But that third quarter from the Lions, when they, or I think it was the second one, they just all of a sudden kicked 10 mm. in a row. And, yeah, yeah. it was... Like you're saying that, you look like they are better, like, what would it say, 10 goal, 5 goal yeah. at least. Um, but yeah, to beat the team who hasn't lost by that, that amount um, last night shows them that they are a 6 or 7 goal better team at home. Yeah, I think Chris Fagan sort of outcoached Craig McRae a bit. I think um, when they when Collingwood play that roll-up defence, it always has out of their three backmen, they'll have Murphy, uh, Frampton or Moore as the last three. And those three blokes, you don't want chasing Charlie Cameron. So Charlie Cameron got out the back a couple of times, turned him on a dime. And while they had Nick Dacos, Bruzzy Maynard um, and Quain all up the field, one of those blokes have to drop back onto Charlie Cameron. You have to show him that respect. They didn't and they paid with it. And Charlie kicked his six. six goals, yeah. So it was a really weird one because Charlie Cameron and Nick Dacos did spend time on each other at mm. points. And clearly we know the way Nick Dacos plays his footy that it wasn't like a hard lockdown role. But... Do you think Collingwood take that? Like, Dacos has his 38 disposals, two goal two. No doubt there will be some media that have him in the votes last night. But then Charlie Cameron was arguably the game-breaker kicking six himself. I reckon, obviously, the Lions take the result any day of the week. But is that something that McRae needs to have a look at, the way Dacos plays his role, whether he tightens up a little bit? Because you don't want to limit Dacos's run. But is it too risky, Collingwood, playing that sort of, I suppose, essentially a five-man defence to, to cover for Nick Dacos? Yeah, I think Chris Fagan won that contest, to be honest. Um, a small forward kick and six is no good, no easy feat. Um, especially, though, but the thing is, though, is that Collingwood are going to face these top sort of teams that have a really classy good small forward and they're going to get found out I feel um, if they don't have a good matchup I'm big on matchups and you've got to show Charlie Cameron a bit more respect than having Murphy or Frampton covering off on him in these exchanges mm. it, it, especially you'd be worried running inside 50 Cosie Pickett will do the same thing in Cause, Melbourne yeah Cosie Pickett um, the top sides will have those players that'll get him out the back I feel and Quainor's got the pace. He's the one that's probably going to sit back on him, on those players. Yeah, and then you, you look at other coaches and they'd, they'd take note of that, um, mm. what happened last night. So they'll be, you know, you get a match-up on um, Dacos, you know, when when he's taken off, get ready to get dangerous and get out the back door. And, um, you know, it'll be it'll be of an insight for other teams coming up against Collingwood now. So if you, mm. if you want him to be that attack and roll, I think you just go play him off a wing. Mm. Robbie, we will hear from Craig McRae very shortly about the deficiency in the ruck and how that affected them. But what did you think? So from a, putting my super coach hat on here, I was watching it with keen interest given that um, I traded in Darcy Cameron last week and I thought, OK, how's he going to go? Uh, you know, and then he was good, like as he has. He's been good the whole year. But then he went down and a few of the second stringers for Collingwood are unavailable also through injury. And of course, there was a much publicised trade of Brodie Grundy over the off-season. So so now they're sort of left without a Ruckman or at least a makeshift Ruckman in like a Dan McStay or an Ash Johnson or someone like that. Do you think that that had a tangible effect last night? 
I think it sort of did, but the big O sort of grabbed the footy out a bit. I think he had like 11 clearances himself as well, which is pretty dominant. I was in the same boat as well, the super coach, Clarky. I actually yeah. brought in Darcy Cameron last week, but I've, um, I was looking at the big O to bring in, but I ended up deciding to go with Brody Grundy. I think Brody Grundy's run for the yeah, next same. six weeks is going to be pretty strong. And But I do, I do think that it was a very dominant sort of display by the big O, and Collingwood, they've only got that Ruckman in the VFL, haven't they? And, the, and mm. Craig McRae said he's not ready, so... I don't think, unless you guys think something different, it doesn't seem like they're going to well, bring him in. let's hear from what Craig McRae did have to say about the deficiency in the ruck. Mm. Well, we scored more from stoppage than they did. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, in terms of losing territory, it's always a cost. Um, yeah, it's something we're going to have to really work through the next period. It's, it's not a, there's no quick fix to it. There's no, there's no magic dust towards it. We've, we've got what we've got, and we just have to work through it. I, I thought we had patches that... Tonight, like Ash Johnson, we, I think we found a player. Like he's um, he's doing some stuff more consistently than he has in the past, and um, yeah, that that could be a little gift for us. Raf, I rate Ash Johnson and some of the games and some of the highlights that he's able to produce, and I think that Daniel McStay is also a good bits and pieces player. But do you think that a team can really compete with, say, your Gorns eventually and a Grundy? And I know Darcy Cameron's going to come back at some stage this year. He's not out for the whole season. But can teams compete without having a genuine viable Ruckman? Well, just listen to Craig McRae there. Almost like he accepts it. And, um, you know, he's pointed out straight away that they kick more goals from stoppages. So whether he's... Uh, happy to go with that role um, but then again like someone like Ash Johnson it'd be awesome to, for him to add that extra string to his bow um, you know if he if he develops as a good hard running ruckman mm. who can jump on everyone's head like he was doing last night like yeah if he adds that extra string to his bow he's going to be one of the, the best bloody you know ruckman going around utilities actually not not, not a ruckman but mm. especially if he rests forward and take those hangers like he does and kick skulls but yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting to see him go against genuine ruckman um, in the next coming rounds, like like you're saying, like those um, you know Grundies and those types. But yeah, I, I still believe you you definitely need a, um, a gun ruckman um, to win footy. Cam Rainer booted four goals last night and was quite impressive. This is what his coach Chris Fagan had to say after the game. Six. Yeah, so it was it was exciting. To see him do so well, I'd like to say that I sent him back so he could learn to play, learn, learn what forwards hate, what defenders hate. But um, uh, I, I think it's been actually been worth doing because I know we can put him back there. He's actually been pretty good down back, but I just felt like we needed his energy tonight in the forward line. He just brings a lot of that. So um, it was probably a, four goals was a pretty good result. But um, uh, yeah, he just adds another element to our forward line, and we can we know we can also throw him, throw him into the midfield. Uh, please for him. Uh, he responded to the challenge. What are your thoughts on Cam Rayner, Rob? Is he, uh, is he performing to the expectations of a number one draft pick, given, of course, he's coming off an ACL injury? But I've always been a bit critical uh, in, in you know, private conversations with mates about Cam Rayner and whether mm. he's sort of performing to the level that and, and, and maybe escaping the criticism some other number one draft picks have gotten. Um, but obviously, he's a game-breaker, and he showed last night that he's a player you can't sleep on. Yeah, definitely. I thought he was pretty instrumental, um, especially earlier. Like, I, I, like when I do my votes and that, I factor in people that, like the players that perform when it's there to be won. And Cam Rayner was definitely there, and he was their best player at that time. Although I've gone against that, I probably had him second best behind Charlie Cameron in the end because Cameron kicking six. But um, I think he probably been up in Brisbane. He was able to escape that criticism a bit as well. But now he's going to have to be that player to take Brisbane to the top four. And and a lot of people predicted him for the flag, so there is high expectations. We can't get around that for Brisbane, can we? No. 
No way. I think uh, Will Ashcroft's an interesting one. So yep. his numbers would stack up against the numbers of any of these players that have gone on to become future champions of the game. But I think it's because Nick Dacos and Harry Sheasel and some other unprecedented performances really from some of the other talented players in the AFL are sort of overshadowing some of the brilliant work that Ashcroft's done. Have mm. you seen much of him and do you like what you see? Yeah, I, I was actually what I'll bring up about Will Ashcroft if I went on the mar betting market to see who's the favourite for the Rising Star mm. and he's still the favourite Yeah. and then I went and looked at the stats last night, I didn't notice him a whole lot but he did have a bit of it and then I looked and he was the number one possession getter for Brisbane mm. so I was like geez, like yeah, the, the bookmakers was... are on the money there, yeah. Like, but Sheasel's got that easier role across half back yeah. um, and then Ruben Gimby, a lot of injuries at West Coast, mm. um, so he's going to get some good midfield minutes. Leading the AFL in tackles at yeah. the moment, so, so I think the Rising Star comes out of those three to be honest Hey, this is a big call, a little bit sort of... I don't even know if we'll have time to speak about this, but I do want to reach, revisit it at least at some point. So I am... My big call, biggest call I've made in about three months here on Fridays in the Top End, but about I time. would almost prefer Jason Horn francis over Nick Dacos if choosing between the two. Do I have any any right to, to chuck an opinion out there like that? I just think his game-breaking ability... There's a lot of criticism about JHF and his lack of uh, defensive ability or something like that, but if you watch some of Nick Dacos's efforts around the ball and the contest that he provides. He's very much a you know that receiver type that, that cuts through sides like a surgeon. There's nothing, taking nothing away from Nick Dacos. But mm. gee, you look at those glimpses that you see from Horn Francis and think, imagine what he's going to be when he's 25, 26. Yeah, that's you know, a, it's, a big, it's, a, it's a big one. Yeah, I think um, when you look at that, I think Horn Francis' body size, he's, mm. you know, he's almost that... Um, you know, those bigger midfield types, you're 6'2", mm. um, and Dacos, you know, being that smaller type, whether that's the difference um, and that extra strength, so he can be that type of Dusty Martin pushing blokes off and breaking tackles like crisps and all them mm. blokes. So, Dangerfield. Yeah, and that's that's probably what Horn Francis has in his advantage. Um, so whether that, you know, coming up mm. and getting... And the more people work out how the Dacos boys play in that, I think it's going to be a lot easier to maybe slow them up um, not, not ever um, taken anything away from both of them, like you mentioned. But yeah, it's, it's, I think the Horn Francis body size gets him, you know, a bit more of an advantage, I believe. Yeah, and, and you, you sort of got to put your footy hat on as well and realise that Nick Dacos does get given the footy a lot. He does oh. take kickouts. He does get a very easy role. And Horn Francis is in the guts. Got to mm. win the footy and get Didn't it himself. Do. It's a bit yep. of a it's a so very different once, roles. Yeah, hey. and it's going to be a lot more progress for Horn Francis. And once he does get to that level improve those things you can see him catching Dacos but Dacos isn't the best 10 players in the comp right now I think most mm. people would agree yeah. um, and his role is a pretty easy role we've all loved it we've, we've, is he bleeding the brown though yeah it might be <laughs> but yeah like I, I didn't give him a vote last night but no. no doubt he probably does get a vote he was Collingwood's best player but he does get fed the footy a bit yeah and, it, and you can see when Collingwood win those balls around stoppages like they're on the they're already on move on the on the fly so a lot of the time he gets the ball he's on the fly and he's on the move so mm. it's almost like that's his role um, and, and he's getting on the end mm. of a lot of it so and you know 25 and kicking two goals every week of course you're going to be leading the Brownlow <laughs> mm. Mm. Yep. yep interesting chat one we can sort of follow over the next sort of five, ten years, really. Yep, given definitely. how I'm That's sure they'll both be in the yeah, I'm sure they'll both be in the top echelon of players at some point. Anyway, hey, we need to go to the news, but there's still plenty to come on SEN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Live on SEN Top End, 16:11 a.m. This is Fridays in the Top End with Jackson Clark, Raf Clark, and Rob Hale for Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter.
he's a talented player. We 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 want to put him in positions where he mm. makes us better. And you know, if the game's there to be chased, then we you know we probably put Nick in the areas that can help us chase it. And um, no, he's he's a terrific talent, and yeah, tonight he showed that again. I tell you what, we were fighting with our producer off yeah. the air about that call and I'm, I'm still not sure if we've got a job we might get the get the knock to, <laughs> to log off air soon but Nick Dacos and Jason Horn Francis those comparisons our producer says look it's, it's too early and there's no way there is even a comparison at the moment given uh, the output that Dacos has already produced and it is hard to argue with that you know Dacos has had multiple 30-35 touch possession games but I don't know like the best, the absolute best I've seen of Jason Horn Francis, if you clipped it up into a highlights package, and we know that footy's not played like that, but if you clipped up his best moments and then you clipped up Dacos's best moments, they're very different players. I see Horn mm. Francis as a player who can pick up the ball and burst from a stoppage, almost like a Chris Judd or a young Nathan Buckley or a Paddy Dangerfield, and then he's got the don't argue of a Dusty Martin. His, his kicking maybe isn't as tidy as, as Nick Dacos's, but we're talking about a bloke who can thump 50, 55 metre goals with ease. His defensive pressure has been his biggest, biggest criticism at the moment and, and that's been much publicised. Just turn on any footy program during the week and you hear someone talking about Horn Francis's lack of pressure. But when he was in the Sandfield as a 17-year-old, that's sort of what he made his name of. He almost won a preliminary final for South Adelaide off his own back. I think he had 25 touches, three goals and a prelim. So he stands up in some big games and he's only 19 and people will say, well, what did he do in the show down last week? But he was probably best on ground in round one against Brisbane. So mm. you're going to get a bit of a mixed bag from young players like that. Tell me I'm not just talking to myself here. There's there's something to it. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think last night, though, Brisbane did put a bit of pressure on Dacos physically at times when he was trying to run off and he didn't like it. Um, I think some of that's going to add in to how he plays in the future. There's no doubt Nick Dacos as a strength moving forward, might have to put a bit more weight on if he's going to get that physical pressure and not sort of absorb it as much. And the commentators were big in the second quarter. Both the Dacos boys had two touches in the second quarter when Brisbane kicked, you know, went on that run of 10 goals straight. Um, and then they sort of come back. Like a lot, of, a lot of his disposals, running out, kicking out, and then getting the handball back. He had done that a fair few times. Mm. They're two pluses, you know. And, you know, it is a lot a lot easier role. Um, and I'd, Nick Dacos's ceiling's where it's at sort of now, isn't it? Like... 38 and 2 on the last night. Well, he's not going to get 55 and 5. Like, how how high does it go? Yeah. So, I think he is one of those elite players in the competition now, but we can see that if Collingwood start to drop a few games with this ruck sort of issue, then he's, you know, he will drop back in the pecking order a tad. If if Nick Dacos turned into a contested ball-winning beast and was winning clearances, that'd be game over. He Mm. would be the best player in the competition, just about. Like, his skills, uh, it's a big call because everyone has their own opinion. I think Jack Lacocious is probably the best pure of the football in the comp but if you had the ball in the hand of anyone running out of the back line in my opinion you'd give it to Nick Dacos in, out of anyone in the AFL so mm-hmm. he's definitely got a tool uh, tool set to work with yep. plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the top end thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin finding a place to write your next chapter welcome back to SEN Fridays in the top end thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin we will love your listing Hey, we're going to very, very briefly recap some of last week's game. We probably won't go through them in full depth, but I want to find a bit of a talking point from each one. We've already digested the Bulldogs-Lions game from a fortnight ago, and and I know it's an old cliche, but a week is a very long time in football, and and last week it was doom and gloom a little bit for the Lions, and now suddenly Mm. we win over Collingwood. It's, hey, maybe they are premiership contenders. Um, Collingwood-Richmond on Friday night was a big game, 85,000 despite the wet weather. I think the Pies had this game in control 
control, 8-15-63 to the Tigers, 7-7-49. So they definitely dominated the scoring shots, 23-14. to 14. But I thought that Collingwood showed a few little chinks in their armour there that, that obviously come undone uh, this week against the Lions, last night against mm. the Lions. Did you, were you concerned about the Tigers? Obviously no Hopper and Martin last week, but do you think they look a little bit slow compared to a fast-moving team like, like Collingwood? Yeah, I think they did a little bit, um, but I, I wasn't. I think Collingwood were pretty inaccurate, but you know, Richmond showed that they'll be around that sort of six to ten mark. I feel. Yeah. Um, a few injuries haven't gone their way, and obviously getting Hopper and Martin back in this week is really going to help them um, moving forward and getting that continu- like a bit of a um, continuum sort of uh, playing group together. Um, going towards the season, having that more consistent output. output. But now that's 19 goals, 32 for Collingwood in back-to-back weeks. So their mm. goal kicking starting to become a tad bit of an issue. They um, had more scoring shots in Brisbane last night as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So they're still hitting the scoreboard. Mm. I'm a little concerned. I think maybe this... I'm hoping this comment comes back to bite me, but Tim Taranto's ball use, and I know that mm. it was brought up by other media outlets during the week, but... You know, I watch these new Richmond players as a Richmond Nuffy like a hawk, and uh, he does a lot of that sort of winning the clearance, which, which the Tigers need. He's valuable, even if he is just hacking it forward. It's still valuable for the Tigers, but, you know, you, you pay a lot for him and Hopper. You'd sort of hope that they could just about keep the Tigers back in that premiership contention where, don't know if it's there just yet. I don't know if, if we could say that the Tigers are genuine premiership contenders just yet. Yeah, no, they, I, I thought that'd be... Um doing a bit better than what they are with their recruits and that but yeah I think they're, they're missing um, they're probably about you know three or four players off I reckon and yeah they Each they didn't look yeah, they, and they're playing in like um, you know they're playing in I reckon in sections they're mm. not you know they're not competitive for a four quarter effort mm. so that's probably what's um, you know keeping them out of these games so they could have you know they look like Collingwood going to flog them then all of a sudden they've, yeah. they've sparked up and played two good quarters and they're back in it and then they can't they can't play the third or whatever it was over the fourth so they run out of legs or they are looking a bit older I, I believe mm, um, yeah, you I know it's almost starting to look like not you know want to bag Geelong too much but mm. um, you know any chance I can put down Geelong because um, yeah. you know what they've done to me in 09. <laughs> well, even um, if you look at the selection table from Richmond this week, you've got Revolt and Cochin out through managed, you know, yeah. which is what so you get with these older bodies, yeah, so, um, you know, I don't see, think they're in that same bracket as Geelong, uh, Collingwood, uh, Geelong, sorry, mixing teams up here, but yeah, yeah. Uh, they are looking a bit older. Yeah, and I think with you saying that, I agree, and it sort of comes back to the Lynch-Revolt combo, similar to the Hawkins-Cameron combo. I think every week if one of them was held the other one would kick three or something and get them going and I don't have that confidence anymore I love Jack Rewalt though mm. one of my favourite players but I think Jack Rewalt and Tomahawk is obviously out of, um, carry, oh, carrying an injury but those two just don't seem like it at the moment and I think Jeremy Cameron um, and Tom Lynch are probably two of the best three or four forwards yeah, in the comp and if you can shut down one of them um, when you play them then I think that goes a long way to winning Hey we had to do some predictions last weekend and I thought that Hawthorne were going to be a chance against North Melbourne that was my big one given the amount of travel that the Kangaroos have been travelling uh, returning from Perth the previous week um, but in fairness in fairness mm. I think that I was really helped by the late withdrawal of Luke Davies Uniac so the Hawks winning last week, was that a surprise? Or once you had these outs for, I don't think Simkin played either, once you had these outs no, for no North Melbourne, did you start thinking that oh, it's going to be too tough for them? Yeah, I would have changed my tip if I would have seen that Simkin and LDU were out. But mm. LDU went out three minutes before the yeah. game. So it was like... Supercoach nightmare for those who oh, traded him in, I tell oh, you. People had him as captain. And <laughs> so that was pretty harsh. Um, but no, it was a good prediction, Clarky, because I still think it would have made a bit of a difference. But... Hawthorne were good, they were on, and my boy um, Dylan Morris, Morrison, mm. who I love. Um, a good, good, 
Yeah, he's been a good little fantasy pickup for me. I don't mind him. Um, he was good again, so I'm happy for that. Dylan Moore. Dylan Moore, sorry. I was got mixed up there. <laughs> look, he like can't uh, be my boy, eh? I can't even. <laughs> Dylan Moore, yeah, he was very good. Looks um, like I had uh, bloody get into the footy fantasy thing yeah, like yeah, to keep yeah. up with this conversation. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see much of Tyler Brockman? So he kicked three goals, uh, wearing Junior Boy's old number, and definitely, look, I'm not going to say there was comparisons, or he showed glimpses of Junior Boy because it takes a special player to do that, but he was good. Three goals in his first AFL game in about 500, 500 days, I think. So yeah, I, think I think that's probably the connection. That's probably the way forward for Hawthorne isn't just to keep blooding the young players you had Josh Ward 27 touches uh, Cam McKenzie was really really good too I think through the midfield um, I forget his stats here he would have had about 20 plus as well so yeah 20 disposals and 9 tackles so yeah, yeah I think that's the way forward for the Hawks just keep blooding the youth yeah, definitely. Um, I think Sam Mitchell was just a bit sick of just playing those big forwards that weren't doing anything. So mm. he went with a smaller forward line and it worked, and that was a good coaching move. Very good. Plenty more to come here on SCN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. Welcome back to SCN Fridays in the top end. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin, finding a place to write your next chapter. We were going through some of last week's AFL games. We'll try to keep this fairly quick. Carlton 9-20 defeated Greater Western Sydney 9 goals 10, so a 10-point win to the Blues. Bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card here given to the Blues with that descent rule. Mm. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, it's a very interesting call. Um, obviously, I wasn't down there, but yeah, it's, it's gone up and down, hasn't it, all week um, in the AFL media? And mm. yeah, I'm not too sure. Yeah, you see a lot of players asking the very same question, I believe. Yeah, yeah. On, on, on it's when just you're that watching it, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's a too hard. Yeah, anyway, yeah. we're probably about the millionth person to chime in on that one. So we'll move on. St Kilda versus Essendon. This might be a bit more uh, digestion here because we have your former team, Raf, and they are on top of the ladder. They are dominating. Did you expect them to get the win last week? And and what did you do for the 150th year celebrations? Did you have the streamer set up at home or anything <laughs> special going on? Oh yeah, put me um O9 jumper on. Yeah, um, and cried. Nah, <laughs> no, I definitely. <laughs> tuned in and uh, it was good to see so many past players on, out on the field. I was away with work and, you know, um, couldn't get there in time. Um, so, yeah, I would have loved to have joined the, the crew that were down there. Xavier joined them and sent a couple mm. of photos and, you know, yeah, that, 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 that definitely hurt when I seen those photos. So <laughs> I couldn't be there with all the old boys. But, yeah, it was awesome to see them. And, and Rossi Lyon, like we said, made it clear yeah. and very clear what their role is and, and the players have responded really well. Yeah, they're looking pretty good the same. Yeah, they're looking good. Plenty more to come here. We're hoping to catch up with Daniel Breed, who is the father of Matea Breed, who was recently drafted to Hawthorne during the week. So it'd be good to get his thoughts on everything. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Hey, we were speaking about very exciting news in the Territory with another mm. one of our junior prospects at the elite level now, and we are hoping that we are joined by her father, so Matea Breed's father, Daniel Breed. Do we have you, mate? Yeah, we got you, boys. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, look, we were talking earlier in the show about how talented your daughter is and how we thought that perhaps this AFL opportunity would have came a little bit sooner. It didn't, but she's continued to work hard down in South Australia and now receives her opportunity. How does it make you feel as a father? You must be very proud. Uh, immensely proud, lads. Immensely proud. She, um, The last 12 months in particular, she's... Um, come into a really good mindset and she just decided to work really hard on um, all the aspects of the footy that she'd received feedback that she needed to improve and um, this year she moved across she went to the local Norwood 
Paynham team in the Adelaide comp last year just to get that enjoyment back in the footy. And then um, mm. in the off-season, she got approached by North Adelaide and under Chrissy Skeen's um, tutelage there, she's just really gone strength to strength this year. So yeah, just enormously proud of her and her efforts and thankful to that North Adelaide footy club for giving her the opportunities and, and the encouragement to improve and get to where she's got. She certainly worked hard uh, on her game. Did you know that she was going to get drafted or was it a big surprise? Like, has the making the AFL been something that's always been a focus for Mateo or is it more something like, oh, look, she'll go down there, play good footy and whatever happens, happens? Or was it definitely a goal of hers to play at this elite level? I think when she initially went down to Norwood um, a couple of years ago, she was pretty keen to go on with the footy. Um, and then it was sort of only ever in the back of her mind. She went to the draft combine, I think that was 2020, but she, um, she'd she only just had surgery on a, on a hand injury that she'd been carrying for 12 months. Um, so she didn't get to do much at the draft combine, and I think she sort of lost a little bit of interest then. Um, and then over the last couple of weeks, I didn't even know that there was an overage draft happening or anything like that. I just sort of follow a North Adelaide footy and happy to see her enjoying herself to be honest um, and I had a few messages from mates of mine in a state and then I had a chat with her one day and she said she'd had a chat with Port and Richmond and I thought oh she might be she might be willing to go to that next level or try and go to that next level and then the week before the draft um, I had a message from someone in um, Melbourne um, about Hawthorne having a chat to her and then that was when I looked it up and went oh hang on it's, it's on next week sort of thing and I said to her Hey, you're nominating, and she played her cards really close to a test. I think she wanted to keep it a bit of a surprise for us. So, yeah, draft night, I just thought I'd tune in and see what happens, and then she got called out at four, and then she rang me. She was actually in the gym. She wasn't even watching the draft. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a big, big shock for us all. Big shock for us all. But, yeah, just enormously proud, and, yeah, I really think she's in a great mindset at the moment, which is what one thing that Matea always needed to be. Um, to go to that next level. Yeah, Daniel. Um, so with now the women's program's a lot like the men's program in that if you don't get picked up as an 18-year-old, you've got to really, and you're a territorial and you've got to go down, move in a state, mostly away from family and, and um, really battle away for years to get that respect and get that sort of, um, to prove that you can make it at that next level. How hard was that for Mattia to do for, for the three seasons that she's done that for? Oh, enormously hard. She, she went down there as an 18-year-old and she had a really good friend that was playing with Districts who was um, also playing with Norwood. So she encouraged her to come down um, and helped her out with a house to stay at and that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's just been... It has, it's been really hard for her being away from family. She loves it when she comes up and Buffs flew her up for a couple of games this year so she could catch up with her mum and that was... That was awesome, but I think that first draft she went into when she was of age, you have to you had to nominate a state back then, um, and mm. that's the only place you could pick you up. So Matea, being in Adelaide, nominated Adelaide because the Crows were the only team, and they sort of had their Adelaide girls that they were picking. So um, it's really good with this overage draft that they've brought in that girls from anywhere can nominate that national if they want to now so they can go anywhere and I think the AFL's behind them with a the relocation allowance and that sort of stuff so that's that's awesome for the women's game I think Yeah, 
Brady Raffia, mate, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, Brady, definitely, she's definitely your daughter if she said she's at the gym and not watching the draft. Um, but on a lighter note, mate, um, hopefully when you get down to, to watch her play um, in her first couple of games, hopefully there's another uh, not a streaker who decides <laughs> to run out there, mate, for all those people out there who don't know Brady's um, history. He's, <laughs> his video is on the almost footy legends and won the, won the final there when he um, closed on that streaker, mate. So hopefully that you don't have to do that. Um, you know, and it's glad we're glad you could join us, mate, for this chat. But yeah, I'm tremendously proud of your daughter as well, mate. Mate, I don't think these news would be able to catch anyone these days. <laughs> <laughs> Still, probably the biggest hit that I've seen put on at TRO Stadium, mate. So you'll, you'll always have that honour. Hey, thanks very much for joining us, and congratulations again to Mateo. Thanks, Brady. You're welcome, guys. Yeah, I'll pass that on to her. She, she'll appreciate that. Thanks, Eve. Thanks, Brady. Thank day. you. So. Boys, obviously, again, just to wrap up the Matea stuff, great to see another player at the elite level. It's always exciting, no matter who it is. Um, we are going to very quickly go through the last four games that we didn't get to. So Adelaide, Port Adelaide, uh, the Crows with a bit of an upset win there, 31 points over the power. Uh, any issues with the awarding of the showdown medal? It was a bit of controversy during the week on A, not only the recipient of it, Jordan Dawson, who I thought was good, was influential, but uh, mainly a lot of the criticism was about David King being on the panel while being in the studio and not actually at the ground. Um, and personally, I thought Phil Thorpe and Rankin were more influential than Dawson and probably could have could have put their hands up. But what were yeah. your thoughts? Well, if they're criticising David King, he actually gave Rankin best yeah, on the exactly. ground. So like, um, <laughs> Maybe but, they should have all been in the studio. Yeah, I, I don't know if they'd have the access to the stats and that, which might make it hard. Um, I know I've got best players wrong just watching the game and yeah. not looking at We've that. We've all done it. But I think yeah. if people kick five goals, four goals, I think that's an automatic mark in that top three or four for mine. Um, but on a side note also, I just want to say about the Bombers oh, game, course, but I didn't yeah. get to say last time, is that I was very, it was very perplexed to see Kyle Langford go back after yeah, kicking five the week before. Very strange decision. And and, you know, I love Dyson Heppel. I've met him a few times. He's a lovely bloke, but, geez, his forms is wavering a lot. And I don't know how serious teams can take us as a bomber supporter if Dyson's in there and he finds the football and then he butchers it, which is it's something he's going to have to fix. But anyway, um, yeah, so the Port Adelaide game, yep. Um, Port Adelaide are in a bit of crossroads now, I feel. Um, they really need to get some wins and find wins, and they've got Sydney and Sydney, so that's going to be tough for them. Speaking of a team at the crossroads, there's only one team in the competition that is yet to record a win in 2023, and who would have thought that it was the reigning premiers, Geelong? They lost to the Gold Coast Suns again uh, at, at Carrara last week. That would have surprised you, surely. And, and can you see the Cats still turning it around and making the finals from a 0-3 and three start? Raf, <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a hard it's a hard one, but like yeah, some teams do get that premiership um, uh, when you get all hangover, and mm. um, you know we talk about how old the list is, um, but I, I still believe the their list is good enough to to turn it around. Um, but yeah, like you say, everyone improves, every team gets better, and um, you know if they if they worked out a way to beat the Cats, um, that everyone would have taken so much notice of them last year, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. I, it's a hard one to say at the moment, but um, yeah, if they if they lose this weekend at home oh, at the MTG against oh, yeah. Hawthorne, then, then, then your real panic buttons. I heard um, Billy Brownless talk about it during the week, and um, yeah, he, he he mentioned that himself. So yeah, it, it is probably the weekend to see if they're going to turn it around or not. I guess. 
No, mm. for sure. I think good yeah. to see. Obviously, it was always a good win to watch last week. The Suns. I do enjoy watching uh, the local players there. The Territory Boys come through. Yeah, definitely. Um, be good to see them start hitting the scoreboard a little bit more. I think Jed Anderson might have tore a hamstring in the reserves, and he's out for about a month. So that's not great news. Hey, Melbourne are firing at the moment. Um, obviously, mm. like most teams at this time of the year, they're a bit up and down, but they were. It was a commanding 50-point win over Sydney last weekend at the MCG. Clayton Oliver and Christian Petrarca just doing their thing. Are they your premiership favourites? Do you still have Collingwood? Are you, are you thinking Brisbane? Where are yeah, they? Yeah, I think they're they're in there. Melbourne, Brisbane, Collingwood for mine. I think Melbourne might be a bit of an antidote as well to Collingwood. Mm. Um, so maybe Collingwood could probably slide back to the third best side right now. I think Melbourne have a lot of strings to their bow, their backline set up, and they're sort of... There's midfield domination by Petrarca and Oliver's going to be something that's oh, yeah. going to be hard to, for Collingwood to go with. Um, but Collingwood have been pretty good at contested footy as well. So, But, yeah, I'll probably have Melbourne as the premiership favourites right now. Raf, how do you see it? Yeah, definitely, and especially when they get challenged. You know, mm. Sydney came at them very hard and, and they'll be able to, you know, withstand that challenge and then and then kick another kick away in the end. Um, and, yep. and I didn't see them winning by that much, to be honest, because uh, the way Sydney came back at them. Um, but then for them to respond, pull them up and then go, go ahead and kick five or six goals to win the game by and win by that margin, I, I didn't see that happening at all. But but, yeah, you know, it shows you're a really good side and you're, you're a couple of levels above the rest. Yeah, it's, it's got 2021 Melbourne vibes written all over it for mine. Yeah. What does Sydney need to do? So if you're John Longmire, you look at it and, you know, you've had an 80-point loss in last year's grand final. Melbourne may be the benchmark team at the moment, but to not get within 50 at, at the MCG, the home of footy, that's where the grand final will be. So you need to perform in big games at that ground. And, and I know Sydney traditionally have a reasonable record at the MCG, but that's been a couple of big games in a row now that they sort of sort of stumbled on. Yeah, Sydney are in a little bit of predicament right now. They're still pretty young. They're but young. They need improvement. I, I think they've got a gap between that twenty-three to twenty-seven yeah. mark, probably, and they're, they're they're relying on probably six or eight young guns to all step up. And looking at the stats on the weekend, they're almost wanting Errol Goulden to be three years ahead of where he's at now. He's yeah, still only twenty he's, years old, second or third year player. Yeah, third, yeah so like he, he had his fifteen, and he's one of those players that we did suspect to have a breakout year and he hasn't really captured the form that we expected and Stevens um, and Campbell are both top five picks they both need to probably lift um, Chad mm. Warner you know everyone was talking this was the year that, that Chad goes beast mode and wins the brown low so um, I, I think the improvement needs to probably come from those players Callum Mills yeah. they sort of chuck around everywhere as a Mr. Fix-It type but you'd almost like him just to stay in the midfield or off half-back or just establish himself somewhere because he's a very good player. Yeah, he had his 25 and was probably their best player and, yeah. and, and Florent had 21 and he was a half-back playing that easier role but I agree mate, Warner um, and those guys are the ones that are going to have to take him to the next level now. Yeah. I think Sydney are one of those sides too that can't afford a slow start yeah. to be honest, mm. that's, that's my opinion on him, yeah. Yeah, yep. and last one. Not too much to to discuss here, but the Dockers were forty-one point winners over West Coast in the Derby last weekend. Uh, West Coast just absolutely ravaged by injury. They lost about seven players. They were the yep. walking wounded uh, out on the field there. Um, the Dockers, obviously, the probably talking point from their season has been the recruitment of Luke Jackson. It'd be too simplistic to say, how do you think he's going? Because we all know that he hasn't had the best start. But do you think there's any pangs of regret for the Dockers? Obviously, last week was the best that duo worked, Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson. Darcy was able to play his natural role a little bit more, 20 disposals, 52 hitouts, albeit against an undermanned West Coast ruck stock. Do you think that structurally that was the move or, or would there be some kind of regrets from those, those at the Dockers? 
Well, I don't think so. I think he's a local boy, the one to come back. You had to get him. Maybe the money aspect wasn't ideal, but... It's a long contract. It's a long contract as well. I can see that criticism, and I don't have an argument to, against those criticisms. Um, but Sean Darcy's a Geelong boy, Geelong leader, Ruckman, very soon. So I'm hoping... I mean, Freeman will be hoping that they can sell the dream to Darcy to keep him, and... Darcy should be the number one ruck and Jackson should be that forward. It's hard to sell ruck. now with Jackson, though. Yeah. You've got less money to pay for him. If you're Sean Darcy, do you look at the bloke who's sitting across from you in the lockers and, you know, he's on a lot more money than you are and on a much bigger contract? Like, if you were Darcy, output-wise, you'd be almost demanding similar kind of numbers, wouldn't you? If you had that lure of going home, potentially. Yeah, it, it does depend what Geelong are going to offer as well, and I think Geelong have money, don't mm. they? So it could be that he gets squeezed out and then Jackson's demanded to perform better. Yeah, it could be an interesting one. Plenty more to come here on SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Welcome back to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. We will love your listing. We are joined by Andrew O'Toole from NT Racing, NT Thoroughbred Racing, the red centre of racing in Alice Springs. Hey, Andrew, what's on this weekend? Well, uh, good morning, gents. Happy Easter to, uh, to all. Um, first day of the five-day Alice Springs Cup Carnival is tomorrow. Uh, and uh, originally seven races were programmed there, but um, such was the size of the nominations we divided two, so they've got a bumper nine-race card there in the red centre tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, it looks very good, Andrew. Um, how was last week's racing as well in Darwin, i seen there? Yeah, that's right. We raced in Darwin on the Friday. Yeah, good day. Uh, stayed fine. That was, uh, that was good. Um, good day for Ella Clark. Um, she's a young trainer, actually Gary Clark's daughter, our leading trainer, of course, Gary. And Ella is his daughter. She um, had a double, her first double uh, as a trainer. She's only been training for or only about um, 15 months, something like that. And uh, she lined up a couple of runners and they both won. So well done to young Ella. Yeah, no worries. And um, any tips for the Alice uh, Springs race card tomorrow, the nine race card? Yeah, well, it gets underway tomorrow at 12.17. So it'll be a good old uh, day there, a long day with the nine races. But uh, in the first, I like number one, Rupert's Delight. He's trained by Kevin Lamprick. Kevin had a winner last week down there on the card, and, and apprentice Janish Luxeman takes the mount. He's drawn a little awkwardly, uh, drawn out in barrier 10, but um, I think he's going well, and I think he can uh, get the chocolates in the first there tomorrow. So race one, number one. If we move then to race five, uh, I like a horse here called Kukuyu, uh, number three. Uh, put three wins together in his last campaign, and his first up run, uh, this uh, preparation produced a good fifth placing. That was uh, just uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think um, with that run under the belt, he'll take a lot of beating. Race five, uh, number three, Kikuyu. And in the last of the yep. nine, where uh, if we still got any money left, <laughs> we hope we have. <laughs> um, number, number four, Maraminko. I'm pretty keen on this one. Trained by Gary Clark. Jared Todd takes the mount. Then he had the one start in Alice Springs. It was a good third on that occasion in this grade of zero to 70. The key to this horse, I think, is the step up to 1,400 metres. Uh, it was only... Uh, a short course race last time, but up to the 1400, I think Maramenko, one of the better bets of the day in the last. Very good, Andrew. Thanks very much for joining us, and good luck with how it all goes on the weekend. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Happy Easter to you and all the listeners. Thanks. Very good. That was Andrew O'Toole from NT Thoroughbred Racing, the Red Centre of Racing in Alice Springs this weekend. Hey, boys, it is very exciting this week because putting a bit of a... I was going to say an Australian field, but he's from New Zealand, Israel Adesanya. It definitely enough. feels like... Yeah, exactly. We, we claim the New Zealand people. Um, but a very interesting UFC card coming up. I believe we have our producer 
Ollie on to talk about UFC. He is our residential Joe Rogan for this <laughs> yeah. morning. So, Correct, Ollie, boys. do we have Thank you? Thank you very much for having me on. Obviously, uh, very good to hear you, mate. Yeah, you too. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know what you guys typically do for an Easter Sunday, but uh, I have plans <laughs> to sit on my couch, eat chocolate, and watch this UFC card because it is an absolute belter. To, oh, mate. With the main card, we've obviously, as you said, we've got Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pereira. My favourite thing about fighting is just the storylines behind them. Mm. And basically, Izzy was a kickboxer, and so was Alex Pereira. And years ago, they fought in a kickboxing um, fight, and they fought twice, and Alex Pereira beat Izzy twice. Izzy mm -hmm. made the transition to MMA and then joined the UFC and started his middleweight reign for since 2019. And then Alex Pereira tracked him down. And I'll also say that Alex Pereira comes from a Brazilian tribe, so he's a terrifying man, and tracked him down in the UFC and beat him last year to take away the title. So this is Izzy's last chance to get the title back, but basically it's all on the line for Izzy and I don't really know where he goes from here if uh, he gets defeated again on the weekend. Oli, is it a mental game for Adesanya? Obviously, he is one of the best fighters pound for pound in the world. Uh, despite the loss uh, and the losses to Jan Blachowicz and, um, and Alex Pereira, I still think that he is up there in pound for pound rankings. Is it a mental thing between uh, Adesanya and Alex Pereira? Do you reckon there's any chance at all that Adesanya will try and take him down or, 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 or grapple a little bit more? Because he's 0-3 and three now in essentially stand-up contests against Pereira. You'd think he'd try and take it to the ground, but with these things, with fights, a lot of it's stylistic. So mm. like different styles match up differently. And there's also, I like to think there's a mental thing in sport where sometimes someone can just have your number. Uh, so I think mm. it's a little bit of that. But the, if you go to um, the fight at the end of last year, Izzy was up 3-1 going into the fifth, but Alex Pereira just has one of the filthiest left hooks in mm. UFC history. And he just caught him in the fifth in the fifth round, excuse me, and uh, and TKO'd him. I think Izzy will pl probably play, fight a bit more aggressively um, because when you're the champ, you kind of generally be a bit more defensive. So I think he obviously has a chance, but Alex Pereira is a terrifying human. It's a very interesting one because Pereira is a bloke that I don't think he gets through someone like a Robert Whittaker or some of the other better wrestlers in the division, yet you put him up against Israel Adesanya and, and he just has so much confidence. His style matches up well with him and he's already got three victories over him, so he's definitely got the mental advantage. Mm -hmm. Who are you tipping? I love Izzy, but... I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Izzy because I like, the, I like his, his history. I like his legacy, so I'm going to go with Izzy, but again, I'm not too confident. Yeah. I think there's some interesting fights too. If you look at it, it's a deep card, like even as early as the prelims, you got Cynthia Calvillo, who's fought at a really high standard before, Kelvin Gastelum, who I thought was going to be a future champion one day and got so, so close to that interim belt against Israel Adesanya. Um, Michelle Waterson's on the card. And then you go to the main one, you have that Raul Rosas Jr., who is the 18-year-old and says yep. that he's going to win a title within 18 months. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. Kevin Holland. Uh, or For anyone who isn't a UFC fan, just go to YouTube, Kevin Holland, and you'll get some excitement yeah, there. He's the absolute man. And you've also yeah. got um, Gilbert Burns versus Jorge Masvidal, oh, yeah. which is a crazy a fight. Um, Jorge Masvidal is on his way out, but he wants yeah. to make one more title run. So he, if he can get a win... This, In Miami as well, this yeah, is. The, the, king is of, the king of Miami. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's going to be a cracker card. But uh, yeah, we're out in about 20 seconds, boys. So uh, I'll let you no. close it up. 
Very, very good. Hey, I like that, talking a bit of UFC with Ollie. We got through the footy. Uh, yep. Raf, Robbie, I hope you all have a great weekend. Yep. Yeah, you too, Clark. Good hanging out with the family and a couple of extra days off. I hope Ollie has a great weekend. I hope all our listeners have a great weekend. Thanks to SEN Fridays in the Top End. Thanks to Rain and Horn Darwin. Finding a place to write your next chapter.